to share this morning, and I like to refer to times when I preach a story time with Jessica rather than a sermon. So I'll build expectations to be correct. Um, I have a few stories I'm going to tell. And I hope that we leave encouraged and built up. So God, I ask you to come, Holy Spirit, and encourage us this morning. Give us courage to the kids. Amen. So I told this story this week, and I haven't told it in a long time, and this morning as I was kind of asking the Lord about sharing, um, how encouraging the story is, and it's an old one, and a few people may have heard it before, but most of y'all may not have. So when we first moved here, sorry, was newborn, she's nine days old, and we ran into Andrew McClure and Jesse Gidlin. And we became the awakening in a very beautiful, the before organic was organic. That's what it was. It was a, we just started hanging out with these kids who had lots of questions. Judge was roommates with all the guys. Um, Katie and Judge weren't dating them. Um, now they have babies. And, you know, it was just a beautiful thing that got them together, right? So um, I had moved from Texas. Um, we were meeting with these almost graduating college students. They had lots of questions about the Holy Spirit and were hungry and running hard after God, recklessly hard after God. Um, but also living in the comforts of the world, right? Like, like we are. So um, one day in my SAS, I said to Travis, these kids really want to see the law say they're going to have to be willing to get dirty. So, I said that, went on with my life. So then, a couple of them asked us if we would go to Cornerstone Church with them. So, Zuri was a baby, which means Josiah and Lydia were very little. And they were like four, two, and newborn. Something like that. Lydia wasn't two yet. Right? Yes. Well, we um, I have a little PTSD, it's okay. Um, so, um, we went to Cornerstone. The Awakening hadn't started meeting yet. Um, we went to Cornerstone that morning, and I don't know how much I know about the old Cornerstone. They used to serve breakfast on Sunday morning, and so all the homeless people went to Cornerstone. I remember this? Anybody here now? Okay. So, Joseph might remember. So, I had to nurse Zuri. So, I went to the back wall to nurse her, because I was sitting up front. Well, before I went to the back wall, Lydia was in kids' church, just like I never went to kids' church, so he was sitting in the chair beside us. There was a girl with pink hair in front of me, and she had on almost good enough clothes to make you not uncomfortable. And the Lord gave me a word for her. And I said clearly to the Lord, this is not my church. I don't know if they give prophetic words here. I didn't know a soul. We had just moved here. We moved in August. This was October. It's not a lot of weekends between August and October. So I just say we didn't know a soul there. And I'm like, okay, so I go sit in the back in our surgery. It smells like a porter potty on a hot Georgia game day. And I'm right in the middle of all the homeless people in Athens. And the Lord said, if you're going to reach Athens, you better be ready to get dirty. Uh, I said, touche, God. Touche. 
sitting on the back row. It stinks. I'm nursing Surrey. Service is over. I go get Lydia out of Kids Church and come kind of meet Travis and Josiah in the middle of the area. They are walking ahead of me. The Lord's like, you remember that girl? You're supposed to give her that word. And I was like, God, she's going to have to run me over for me to give her a word. So we're walking to the car. And, you know, there's like a shiny rock on the ground. Lydia is almost two. She had to have it. Had to have the shiny rock. So she, like, stops abruptly. And I stop. And somebody literally runs me over. I almost dropped her. Like, ran me over. And I turned around. And y'all know exactly who it was, right? So it's the girl with the pink hair. with not nearly enough clothes on to be on the public. So, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to do this. So, how many y'all know this story? Yeah, I don't know if I'm about that. I haven't told it in so long, it's my favorite story. And I, I've just been sitting here, and I've just gotten so excited about it. So, the girl with the pink hair is with her boyfriend. They have holes all in their face, like they pierced all up there. I'm very uncomfortable, just so you know. Like, I, I didn't live perfectly, but I just lived a very, like, yeah. <laughs> so, when y'all hear my word, you'll know why I wasn't going to share it. So, I say to her, she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I said, oh, girl, it's fine, no problem. Is your baby okay? Yeah, she's okay. Now, she was a white girl. She was very thin. And, um, you know, she says, are you okay? I was like, um, yeah, I'm okay. But actually, during church, God told me to tell you something. She's like, oh, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, well, will you tell me? I said, well, I don't go to church here. So I just want you to understand, this isn't a reflection of this church. So like, and I could be wrong. I'm giving all the premises because it's a bad word, y'all. It's a bad word. <laughs> So I said, I don't blame it on the church. I'm just saying, if you'll just take it to God and see what happens. So I said, God told me that he wants to tell you something about Halloween, the bad holiday. So I got, she was like, okay, well, if I ask him, can I tell you about it? Mm-hmm. Will you put your name in my Bible? Just now, you ready to get dirty? Yeah, I am. So she gives me her precious moments Bible, and I write my name and phone number in the front of her Bible. I get in the car, and I tell Travis, I just gave a girl a word about Halloween. This is my life right now. <laughs> I'm just like, that. Hey, is that even a prophetic word? Like, it's October. I mean, so, so I go home, and this is the part where I just don't want anyone to ever discredit any prophetic word that you get because it is it's God that does the work and if we let him then we'll get to tell a story like this so she calls me about 4 o'clock and um hello and she says hey I'm going to use Kim I'm going to say her name is Kim that's not her name hey this is Kim and um I did what you told me to I said okay well what happened she said well, I asked God, I said, God, uh, what do you want to tell me about Halloween? And she said, he said, 
See, well, I need to tell you something, Jessica. My daddy, he treated me like I was his wife. You know what I'm talking about? You know, uh, yeah, I think I got it, Kim. I think I understand. She's like, well, I can't, no, you don't have to explain. I, I think I understand. Um, well, he treated me like I was his wife all the time since I was a real little girl. And, but on Halloween every year, he let me invite one friend, and he'd take me to the home in the house. And he, he let me scream and be scared. And I'd run, and he'd hold me real tight. He'd be like, it's okay, it's okay, I'll protect you. On one day every year, it's on Halloween. And God said, I'm daddy like that. And it like really hit with me. 
where I was like, I gotta screw up every once in a while. I grew up in a, a an awesome church, but they really did teach me about excellence and like you just you don't like you don't like mess up God's reputation. Like can you? I mean you can. You can give love a bad name, right? Like you can represent God, misrepresent God, but he is big. He's coming and he's gonna show people himself and we can get on the train or we can watch it go by. Like there's just lots of opportunity for this. Um, one day when I was at church here in worship, the Lord began to talk to me about Esther. And it was really powerful. It was actually during prayer one morning. We were in the back praying and it wasn't worship. And then it kind of continued during worship. And the Lord began to say, um, what he said to me is, the church is in a season like Esther when she was in the courts being prepared to be presented for the king, to the king. And I was like, okay, well, that might come up sometime. So, um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Esther. If you want to look in Esther, we're going to read some in Esther. Josiah, will you look at that verse in Jeremiah that we, um, that Jonathan House preached on? Um, yeah, last week. We went to um, Jonathan House's church in Oglethorpe County last Sunday. Um, and, man, they're, it's awesome what they're doing. Jonathan actually used to come here, and um, it's exciting. And he preached this sermon, um, and while he was sharing, I was like, I really think I need to share that thing about Esther. Um, it just kind of all comes together. So, Josiah, when you read real loud that verse, um, the Jeremiah... Um, 12.5 If you have raised with runners and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses when you stumble into a peaceful land? So it says, how, if you can't... Lori's got a stink bug. It almost made it outside. Um, so it says, if you can't run with men, how are you going to run with horses? So he was just talking about, like, we were created to run with horses. Right? We were, so we were all created with this destiny before us. Right? And we get in the thicket. We get in the, in the running with men. And, like, so that's kind of what the Lord began to show me about Esther. And so then I read Esther about ten times recently, just to see, like, what is in here that you want us to talk about at the awakening? So, um, I would really encourage you, if you listen to the Bible, to listen to Esther, just a couple of times, a couple of different versions, and just, just to encourage you, because listening to it from start to finish, I mean, if I think it's about 20 minutes to listen to it, uh, so you can do it like maybe in route to work or something and it or to wherever you're headed for carpool or to on a walk. Listening to it straight through is very dynamic. And her life is is a picture of the gospel. So most of y'all know the story of Esther, but I'm just gonna hit some highlights. So Esther's parents died. She was an orphan. She was a Jew. She was not popular in her race or her religion. 
She was not set up for success. She was an orphan. She didn't have an inheritance. Like she hurt. So this is kind of who Esther was in in her reality, where she was. So, um, so I'm going to kind of back up to her uncle Mordecai, um, and. Um, Esther 2 verse 21 so Mordecai's her uncle when her parents died he let her live with him he kind of adopted her became her guardian he would sign her doctor's documents he would, you know, school notes things like that um, he was her person it doesn't say Mordecai had a wife it just says that Mordecai adopted her so I don't know if there was any women in her life. I don't know what that looked like. Doesn't really talk about it. Um, so verse 21, Esther 2, it says, In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thumb and Thoresh, two of the king's officials, from, whom, from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Osiris. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. Okay, so Mordecai is at the gate, he goes home, and he's like, Esther, can I believe what happened? These guys are going to kill the king. And Esther tells someone to tell the king that Mordecai said that somebody's going to kill him. And they found out that it was true, and they wrote it in the book. And Billy, in the palaces, they have these journals. They, like, wrote down everything, right? Because we would have computers. Like, they didn't send an email. They, like, wrote it all down. And so this is one of those things of courage, right? Like... But, I mean, did it matter how they saved the king's life? Did Mordecai get any recognition for it? Like, it doesn't say that he wrote, they wrote it in the book. That's it. The king watched him write it in the book. Okay. So, then, y'all know Vashti, she, like, rebels, and the king gets mad, and he sends out to get all these girls to come and live in the palace and be pampered. It's like going to the spa for a really long time. So, they're like... Perfumes and oils and bubble baths and I just imagine this is just story time with Jessica, so not not the Bible, but I imagine Esther like sweeping out a dirt floor and like carrying water on her head and cooking, and then she goes to the palace and she's like, "Can you fan me a little bit more on the side?" That's what I just imagine. No, I don't know what it was like, but that's just kind of what I imagine. It's like she has all these. They said they assigned them servants. So she goes from being like maybe the woman of the house or at least an orphan, right? Like that is adopted by her uncle. And it sounds like they had a great, you know, relationship in the sense that he like told her things and she trusted him because this thing about it being written in the book. So she, so in the palace, she's got at least one servant, probably a cook. They're making sure that she looks beautiful. She smells beautiful. She's got everything she needs. 
And that's the spot that the Lord told me that the church is in. We're like in the courts. Now, maybe some of us are experiencing hard things. But really, the church isn't experiencing persecution very strongly. A lot of our friends go to church. Um, we have, we often have favor at church, right? Like, here we have favor, but then even when we go out, we're like, oh yeah, I go to church with Kelly. It's like, it like makes them want to be my friend, right? Because we like, a, there's like a respect for people who are going to church. So that's kind of the picture that the Lord gave me was like the church was in this place where like their needs were met. They were, it was comfortable. And so, and I feel like it's important. It's important to come to this place where we have favor. Where we, we stand, we have the ability, the opportunity to stand before the kings. I don't need the king. I mean, my kings. So, Esther, when she, she had to send like messages through people to get to the king back when Mordecai saw that at the gate. But when she was in the, in the king's court, she eventually got the opportunity to herself be before the king. So, I do feel like the Lord is preparing the church for opportunities like Esther had. Opportunities with people of influence. Opportunities with laws. Opportunities with the lost. Opportunities with one another. Like he's preparing us for opportunities. We're in this season of, maybe it doesn't feel like asking, Esther might have been homesick. Like, there's kind of a feeling that she didn't want to go. Like, she may not have loved it. She may have been like, I'd rather wear my tunic thing and not have to wear this tight dress. You know, like, I don't like to brush my hair every day. She might have been like that. I don't know. I'm just saying, whether we like it or not, God has put us in this place where it's like he's preparing us for something. Okay. So, then, so we know what Mordecai did. And then in Esther 4, Haman decides, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill all the Jews. So y'all with me on the story. Like so the king's right hand man says, kill all the Jews. Um, he really hates Mordecai, specifically. Mordecai Bentley stands at the gate again. I'm not a scholar, it's more like story time. Where he's at the gate, Haman doesn't like him. He's gonna kill the Jews. The, the, the papers are on the post. They're dying on this certain day. So Mordecai gets word to Esther. Now remember, Esther's already been chosen by the king. So that she's no longer in the preparation time. She actually is in. She's his girl. I don't know what that means because she says in here she hasn't seen him for 30 days. But, you know, whatever that means. Um, she is chosen. So she's gone from orphan to royalty. I don't know how long it's been. Mordecai's still alive, so it can't have been that long, but maybe years. 
How comfortable do you think Esther was at this point? I mean, she probably gotten comfortable. I've gotten pretty comfortable. Like, I can be pretty comfortable as a Christian, where I'm like just going through life and not really asking the Lord about the lost around me. People who are like actually going to hell. I can get really comfortable and say, well, I mean, I live up to most of the, stand most of the standards of the word. I'm just not going to really think about that one. I mean, I can just get really comfortable. Um, evidently, Esther wasn't comfortable because she was pretty quick to obey. But Mordecai, the way Mordecai talks to her is very interesting. This is what he says. It's in um, Esther 4. Um, so, and I don't know these words, but Hathach came back and um, relayed Mordecai's word to Esther. And then Esther spoke to him and, um, and asked her to talk to Mordecai. And this is what Esther said. Mordecai said, they're going to kill us all. Right? And so Esther goes back to him and she says, um, all the king's servants and all the people of all the king's providence. So everybody knows that any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner courts, who is not summoned, he has but one law that he has put, that he has, has to be put to death. Unless the king holds out his golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. So she's telling Mordecai, okay, so what you're asking me to do is die. Because if I go over to the Pogan's house, they're the king, and they haven't asked me to come over, they have a right to kill me. Like, it won't be breaking the law. Unless they're like, oh yeah, you're fine, come on in. Two options. You live or you die. So it's pretty serious. So, then Mordecai says back to her in verse 13, he says... Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all of the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So how many of you have ever used that word? Like maybe you might be related for such a time as this. Like, maybe my kids are at Oconee High School for such a time as this. Maybe I work at Asheville Orthopedic for such a time as this. Maybe I'm my dad's daughter for such a time as this. Like, we've thought those thoughts, right? But what, there's, what she's saying is, if you don't stand up right now, God will save us. You'll just die instead of being the one that is on the train. You know, like, God's doing something. Like, we want to have the courage to get on. So, it's like you're not going to escape because you you're, you decide to, that you're royalty, that you're, you're exempt. Um, and then she says in verse 16, Go assemble the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. I'm going to do the same thing. And I'm going to go before the king. And if I die, I die. 
So like, she just lays her life down. And when she does that, she asks them to pray. So she doesn't do it like, that's what I mean. It's like the church, right? So when we're going out, when Jason's going out to do something courageous, he can call together like, we all pray for me. We all pray for me. And what happens when we pray for each other? Okay, I'm glad you guys. In Esther 6, the king can't sleep. Any goblins of sleepless night and get up and read a book? This is what happens to the king. Can't sleep. But he doesn't read. So he calls one of his servants and says, Hey, bring the book. You remember that book, the journal? Bring the book. Will you read it to me? And he just happens to read the story of Mordecai from chapter 1. Chapter 2, sorry. Remember Mordecai, says the king? That's what the, the servant reads the king the night that the Jews are fasting for Esther. So, then he says, calls him in, what would you do for this guy? He has to lead Mordecai around the doors with king's robe and, you know, all that. And so y'all kind of know the rest of the story, like Esther gets the favor of the king and, um, and they kind of live happily ever after for a few minutes. And then bad things happen again in the other chapters. But okay, in other books. But Esther, like, does her job. So here's my couple of takeaways from this story is we are called to run with horses. Like we're called to have courage. We are going to stand in a place where we have to say okay they are either going to be my friend or they're never going to talk to me again. They are either going to fire me or let me take over the culture of the company. They are either going to kill me or I am going to live confidently in, into the next season. Most of the time we're not going to die. Right? Most of the time no one's going to kill us. Most of the time. I'm not saying so right Usually our death is different. Right? I'm either going to walk out and trust God for this next thing and see Him show up or I'm going to follow my face and be completely embarrassed and have to rely on other people. Like, there's all kinds of things that happen. But the one thing that really stood out to me about the story is that kind of the rest of the story that I'm not really going into is Esther doesn't ever focus on Haman. So he was the evil one who wanted to kill the Jews who was trying to kill Mordecai. She said, try to get rid of Haman. She doesn't try to overturn Haman. She doesn't try to take his power away. She doesn't go to the king and she's like, Haman's going to kill my family. Do something about it. <laughs> I, it doesn't even say she ever talks to him. He actually, she actually doesn't invite him to the dinner. He just happens to be there and the king invites him. So there's no complaining. There's no whining. She just does the next thing with the provision of the Lord. So she, I don't think she knew what she was going to do because she goes up there, she thinks she's going to die and then she's like, hey, can I make you dinner? And he said, all right, Haman and I are coming. And then she has him to dinner and then she asks him to dinner again she still doesn't really know exactly what to ask for. Sometimes we don't know what to do. We just need the wisdom of the Lord. And in this Jeremiah verse, which I'm 
Um, after it talks about, um, so before it talks about the running with horses, um, Um, it says, for even your brothers and your household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them, although they may say nice things to you. I think it's long before that, too. And then um, it says, how long is the land to mourn? And the vegetation of the countryside wither, for the wickedness of all, all those who dwell in it, animals and birds, have been snatched away because men have said, He will not see our latter ending. This whole, like, Jeremiah 12 is about complaining and whining, and then he says, I didn't make you to complain. I made you to stand in the season you're in because eventually you're going to have to stand in a harder season. Like I'm building your muscles. And Esther evidently kept building her muscles when she was comfortable because there's going to come times where we're very uncomfortable and we have to trust and we have to have faith and it's not easy. And so the testimonies, like the haunted house at Halloween for the girl at Cornerstone, becomes like a, a mile marker for me, right? That's like, for me, that's me remembering, like, God wants to use me. God wants to do something with me. And you all have those stories in your life. And we have to pull them to the front and we have to build on them. And whenever God puts us before the King, gives us the opportunity that we'll stand. That we'll stand for the truth. That we'll remember that we belong to God. Like Esther remembered that she was a Jew. That she belonged to God. She belonged to God first. Mordecai reminded her. Right? He's like, hey, I'm not saying you're not going to be reminded. I have to be reminded. That's why we have the body to like come around us to remind us. Like, you belong to God. We have to do that for our kids. Like, you belong to God. Stand. If you die, you die. Whatever that means, whatever that death is. Again, we might put ourselves in actual death's way, but most of the time, it's something in our flesh that we just really want. I told Travis the other day, I was like, you need to just pray that the Jesus in me is stronger than the Jessica in me, right? Because sometimes the Jessica in me is just not, not great. And I need reminded that I belong to God and that I can stand in the times where it, it might not go well for me. And I can even tell stories about people in this room who have done what Esther did. So you have your own stories, and I know that. And I, I, it's like y'all are the people who are, who are made to like run with horses. So I just want to give you courage that when these times come, instead of complaining, 
and kept, instead of focusing on Haman and the problem, like remember, I belong to God. And when I stand before the king, I can stand for the truth confidently, knowing that he has my back, that I may get the scepter extended to me and get favor, and I may not, but it does not matter. So while the church is in this place of like acceptance and comfort, even though some we have some people who might be like, whatever about the church, for the most part, it's pretty comfortable. We've got to be ready for the time when it's not. And so I just want to pray for us, and I wanted us to take communion this morning. If you haven't been able to get communion, you're welcome to take it later. Because I want us to always remember that He died for us. Sometimes I think we just forget the gospel when we get into the values and the things that come because He died. But He died, and it, it's finished. He paid the whole debt. We're not trying to pay our debt anymore. He died. He died so that we can be free, that we can be healed, that we can be delivered, that we can be saved. And just to put our hearts in a place of thanksgiving, one of the things that Jonathan said last week that really kind of hit me was that thankfulness leads to contentment, which leads to discernment. And so as the body, I just want to challenge us to be courageous, to be thankful. Because when we're thankful, all of a sudden, we realize what we have, right? And then we're content. And then we can have wisdom about who we're supposed to take a stand in front of. Because sometimes God keeps us hidden, right? He keeps us hidden for a season. And then there's that moment. Esther was hidden, but then she had to stand. So God, I just pray for us as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, that we will stand for one another, that we will fast and pray for one another, that we will bring our requests before you, our King, our Lord. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for paying the price for our sin. Holy Spirit, come. Remind us that we belong to you, that you are our God. We are your tribe. Awaken us. Turn our hearts to thankfulness, that we, we may have wisdom to know who are the kings that we are to take a stand in front of, that we are to declare the truth to that we are to unveil where there's evil that your light may shine and the darkness be dispelled thank you Holy Spirit that you give us courage and that we were created for such a time as this you made us for this hour for this day to run with men, because one day we will run with horses. Amen. Yeah.